Hello, I'm Leslie Dudley Corbell, and I'm Diane Doucette Matthews. Welcome to The Mind of a Child. We're so glad you've joined us for today's conversation. So let's take a deep breath together and settle in and see what we can learn today. Diane, today we have a guest, mm-hmm. Debbie Mays. Yes. Welcome, Debbie. Oh, Leslie, it's so good to be here with you today. You want me to tell you a little bit about myself? I'd love for you to tell our audience all about you. Yes. Perfect. You know, um, I have a family child care home in Northwest Arkansas. I've been in early education for more than 37 years, mm. which seems like a really, really long time, but a lot has changed since then. I've learned on my journey of early education who I am and the hows and whys of what I do and been able to share that with other people. So I have a two-story blue house with a white picket fence and um, wicker furniture on my front porch. And every day, um, 10 families drive down my drive and I open the door and say, good morning. Mm -hmm. Would you like a handshake or a fish or whatever our greeting is for the day? And we set about about our day. So it's really, really a good life. I've been to your program many times and love every moment. Always wish I were a kid again (laughs) so I could spend my day there. Just such a warm, inviting place to learn and grow. And I saw pictures. You showed me those pictures, and I was thinking I would love for my grandkids to go there. It just looks so warm and inviting. It looks wonderful. Well, thank you. I would love for my grandkids to to go there as well. Uh, My grandkids don't live around me as Mm. close, but next week we are having Camp Mia. Oh, so wonderful. I've even had a big vinyl banner made. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I love welcome it. to Camp Me and Paul Randy. So um And you, you know, have they, six grandkids. I have Are six they grandchildren. Are they able to come? Um well, not the two month old. Oh not the two month old. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I understand that is seventeen and oh. she will be there to help with her mm. little brother who is eighteen months old. Oh wow. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's gonna really be great. so fun. It will be fun. Yeah. Well, you've been so active in the field of early childhood education, not just statewide, but nationally, and um, have influenced so many other providers. And so we're really glad you're here to share your insight into what quality childcare looks like and sounds like and encourage other parents as they go around looking for programs. What mm-hmm. what are some things they can look for? So I think there's going to be a wonderful conversation that we get into and um, can y'all just tell the audience how y'all met? Leslie, how did you meet Debbie? Well, in my work, I visited Debbie's program just to get a good picture of what family child care looks like. And it was a wonderful picture mm-hmm. of what family child care looks like. And I was, had the opportunity to coach her, to answer questions, and just spend time with her. Right. Okay. So I don't remember you assessing me. So it must have been a really good experience <laughs> for me. I don't, I don't think I ever assessed you. I think I just did technical assistance okay. and before then conscious the discipline and then coaching. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can tell you one time that I actually tell in a lot of my keynotes with um, trainings is that when I was first learning conscious discipline and I had a little guy that was on the spectrum and he was one of my first kiddos that um, I really just couldn't figure out. I couldn't connect with. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And Leslie came in to give me some tools mm. um, that I could use. And I said, Leslie, you do not understand. This is not going to work with him. And she took that deep breath. We all know Leslie takes. (laughs) And she said, it'll work with you. And when I think about the things that I've learned in my work with children, that's probably one of the most important things that I've Mm -hmm. learned Mm -hmm. is that 
I'm the deciding factor in how my day goes with those kiddos, that many times the days that don't go as well as others are the result of my lack of preparation or planning, or maybe even the way that I started my day so Mm. that if I pivot and take a breath that we can all start back over and try again. But that's my best memory of Leslie. (laughs) That's a huge memory. That's a great memory. Yes, I agree. So you you. encouraged her and gave her hope. Yeah. That's carried on. That mom actually, and I should have reached out to tell you this, that mom actually emailed me about six months ago and said her little boy was released from services because he was doing so well. And she, she attributed a lot of that to the foundation that he got in preschool with conscious discipline. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's neat. That's great. That's a great story. Yes. That's great. So you're, you have a family child care home. Mm -hmm. Tell our audience what that is, what that looks like. So, you know, years ago, um, as women begin to enter the workforce, um, there weren't actually child care facilities that people would take their children to. People, you know, well, kindergarten's actually not mandated in a lot of states right now, but for the most part, children stayed at home with their moms or their grandmas. But as more women entered the field, they needed a place for their children to go. Well, what happened is they went to the lady down the street, you know, or, you know, the grandma around the corner that just had some extra time. And that's actually how family child care homes got their start. Mm. And it's funny because I think as I've evolved over the years, like I've went, I, I, I've done the whole continuum of what that looks like. And I think I'm back to Granny Sue around the corner. <laughs> that, that for me, that's what that high quality environment looks like is that that lady, you know, or man or family in their home that welcomes another whole family in, not just the child, but the whole family in and cares for them in the way that you would want your mom to care for you or that you Mm -hmm. would want somebody in my place to care for my grandkids, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and without without the academic rigor, mm-hmm. with yes. the solid social emotional foundation of what we know is best for children, you know, having those conversations, those powerful interactions that lead back to who the child is and what what's the most important mm-hmm. about how we treat other people. You know, um, so many times in early education, we're so busy constantly assessing, even though we might not say it, hey, can you hand me that red block? Oh, that's that's a square book you have. That's amazing. I have just completely stopped that. I I just have conversations with my children about what their life is like. Tell me, what did you do yesterday when you went home? Mm. You saw a rainbow. That's amazing. Do you think that same rainbow was over at my house? You know, just leading them to problem solve and to to hold deeper, authentic conversations Mm. instead of feeling the need to constantly educate and train them, getting them ready for that next step. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I want to appreciate where they are right now instead of constantly preparing them for what's going to happen the next year. Hmm. And I think that's so important to be present with them in that moment to provide them the skills that they need and continue stretching them because that's when you notice, well, they are are ready for that next moment because you were there in the moment that they were in right, Mm. right then. You know, some of our listeners might hear the words academic rigor. And so I think that's something to look at here is when we know what high quality learning environment looks like for preschoolers, let's explore that. What does that look like for you when you talk about academic rigor and then what is developmentally appropriate for children? Because I've been in your program before. Mm -hmm. Tell them about the writing 
Yes. And um, the letter learning that they actually learn in your program. Right. So a lot of that, again, I know you use the word authentic a lot, but it's just mm-hmm. authentic learning, authentic writing. One of the children might come in and say, today is my mom's birthday. So I say, let's go make a birthday card. I wonder how your mom spells her name. If I write it, do you think that you can write it on your own paper? Sure they can, right? If if they're at that developmental stage to be able mm-hmm. to do that. So giving them those experiences. When there's a, a hot item that everybody's wanting to play with, so we've used all of the social skills we mm-hmm. can use about waiting and taking turns and being patient, why don't we make a list? Let's make a list of who has the next turn. So constantly giving them those opportunities to reach some of those academic milestones that people are expecting, but doing it in a real organic way in the classroom Mm -hmm. while the children are playing. You know, they say that children learn more while they're playing than they do Mm -hmm. in structured formal settings. So as an early educator, it's my job to constantly, and you have to be in the moment, you have to be present with those kids trying to figure out how I can scaffold and how I can take them to the next step without actually pushing that academic side. I think that many times in in our life, we're just so busy pushing kids to the next step. And mm. then when they get to be teenagers, we're like, what happened? Kids weren't like this when I was a teenager. But guess what? Kids weren't reading and writing mm-hmm. when they were five when you were a teenager mm-hmm. either. That's our fault. We've mm-hmm. done that. So we need to pull the reins back a little bit. Preschool is before school preschool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we take that opportunity to teach them all of those social emotional tools that we've been given to help them be successful so that when they actually do go to school, they're going to be so much more Mm -hmm. confident. They're going to be leaders. They're going to be able to grasp those concepts so much more quickly than they would otherwise. So that's probably one of the biggest things that I do with my parents is educating them on what is appropriate for children to learn and, and to cherish their childhood. You know, as you get older, I think that becomes more important to each of us because we remember our grandma standing in the kitchen needing dough to bake rolls. Do you know how much can be taught in a kitchen while you're cooking with children? So why Mm -hmm. not let's do that instead of sitting down with, you know, little manipulatives, little square cubes that are red, blue, green, and yellow and saying, let's count these. Instead, Mm -hmm. let's count teaspoons of flour. Instead, let's, you know, all of those things that can happen in a home or a high quality facility. You can cook in a high quality facility, but making sure that they're doing it in the, I call it just in life, Mm -hmm. all the things that we do to live every day Mm -hmm. so that they don't even really realize you're you're being a ninja. They don't realize (laughs) that you're teaching them um, until they go to kindergarten and the the families are like, wow, they were so ready for kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So the way you described it is it, it does, I see why you use the word authentic because it seems very authentic and organic the learning happens as you go through the day. Yes. And another word I was thinking of, it's just natural. Yes. You know, it's just a natural setting. That's what kids would do if they were at home with their mom or their grandmother. Right. Like right. you said, it's just natural. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the way God planned it. Yes, absolutely. Know, just for it to occur like that. That's and I've sweet. not always been that way. Like I, yeah. I did used to teach and had lesson plans that would, you know, everybody would celebrate. But I, I just don't teach that way anymore. Um, I actually, this year, I had... 50 theme tubs that I had in a storage mm-hmm. that I've not really touched in years. And I got rid of them. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's that's not who I am anymore. That's not what I do. If we happen to come across something that we're really interested in, you know, like fire safety. If a fire truck goes down the road 
and my kids are excited about it, I can bring out things that are fire truck related, but I don't have to do it in October during fire prevention month. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, 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 right. That's, that's the difference there. Yeah. You really follow the children's interest. Absolutely. Yes. And their lead. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's sometimes it's difficult because even with eight children, they're all interested in different things, right? So I take observations, I watch what they're doing and just engage them where they are and what they're interested in. And um, sometimes that takes a little maneuvering. Um, It's not as easy as making one lesson plan for all of the children, regardless Mm -hmm. of what developmental level they're on or what their interest Mm -hmm. is. It's a little bit more difficult. People think that child-led is the easy way. Like you're just watching the kids play, but that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. It's it's absolutely being engaged with your children and figuring out where they are, what they're interested in, and what you as an early educator can add to what they already know. So I've heard you talk about child-led education or academic Mm -hmm. rigor. So what are some other ones that people fall into as a philosophy for childcare or preschool philosophy? Well, there's value in all curriculums that are out there, even the ones that are made, because you heard me say that I've been on a journey. Right. so, So when you're brand new, you might not have all the tools. You haven't had TA stop in three and four times a year to help you out. You know, I get probably more than 100 training hours a year. You don't have all of those tools. So to have something written in front of you can become very important. Right. That can be the difference between having a, a mediocre teacher and a really powerful teacher. Sometimes if you have a little guideline to go on. So um, I, I follow the ratio philosophy, oh, which yeah. is okay. natural environments. Right. Um, believing that children deserve beautiful things, that they're capable, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um But I do think there's value in written curriculum for some providers, especially when they're in their early years. Mm -hmm. Okay. How could we encourage parents or support parents if they're looking for a place to take their child, whether it's family, home, childcare-based or center-based, what are some things they can look for to find a quality program? Right. So I think the first thing a parent has to do is decide what they're comfortable with. Most times that's going to be something that's closest in their community. Um, some people prefer not to go to family child care homes because it seems um, less regulated, less formal, and maybe not as much oversight, mm-hmm. which is not true actually. Um, but parents think that. Um, I, I think the first thing that they want to look for is um communication. Mm. Um, You want to talk to the person that's in charge, whether that's a director or the family child care provider, and find out how they feel about children. What is their philosophy when it comes to teaching children? Because if you're Mm. like, if you're coming into my place and you're expecting um, heavy academics, you're not going to be happy. Um, It's just not the place for you. But also um, I have parents come to me that want specifically the type of atmosphere I have. So it's important to communicate or to talk to those people to find out what they're actually looking for. Mm. Now, once you get inside, and I'm a strong advocate for family childcare, but I'm I'm a believer that high quality can happen regardless of the four walls. Literally, it's four walls. What what happens that's important is what goes on between the caregiver or the teacher and the child. So um, I think being able to go in and to take your child and see how they interact with children. Um, do they have a schedule? Because even though you may not follow a curriculum, a written curriculum, a schedule is important because yes. we know that schedules promote safety and routines for children. Mm-hmm. And that's important. So I think those would be my top three is just communication, um, how the um, provider, the director, how they relate to children, and um, also having a, a written schedule that says this is what we do during the day. 
And, you know, you talked about, we talked about it earlier, but the open door policy. Absolutely. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Um, the world tells us that our children need to learn all of these things before they start school. They don't understand how play-based learning happens. So for me, it's self-preservation. My parents come in, they see how I teach, they build a relationship with me, a trusting relationship. They see how I am with my children and how the children form relationships with the other other children that they play with. And, and it just provides this safety net for everybody. Mm. Um, also just... When a child goes into a facility or a home, we are caring for the most important resource thing they have. Like if I now were to say, you know, hey, let me have your phone and let me carry that for a week, you'd probably be like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I need my phone. But yet we expect for people to come hand us their children and be able to walk away That's without a forming a relationship with us. That's a great um, point. So that open door policy for me um, sets the foundation for that relationship that I want to have with my parents. And you had mentioned even the accountability. Yes, you know? accountability, knowing when, when a guest is coming in, and maybe, maybe it's just the way I was <laughs> raised, but when a guest is coming in, you make sure your home smells good, it looks good, everything is up to par. Well, when no one else is coming in for accountability, you might be more apt to say, Today, I'm going to let that slide. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, five days have passed, two two weeks have passed, um, and then things aren't quite what they need to be. So I think that parents and, you know, TAs and DHS coming in is actually a good thing. It helps us all be accountable to a higher standard. I agree. Talk a little bit more about play-based learning. Mm -hmm. I don't know if our audience knows what that refers to. In contrast mm -hmm. to... Whatever. Right. Yeah. So the way that looks at my place is we don't have worksheets at all. <laughs> um, I, I have centers set up. I have blocks, dramatic play, um, art, huge. I have one whole room that's art now. You'll have to come visit. Um, <laughs> can I you come? Know, sure you can. <laughs> sure you can. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, but letting children play and being in the moment with them, observing them and scaffold them to... Um, to learn while while they're playing. So earlier I said, you know, that it, you're not always saying, hey, hand me that green block or hand me that yellow block or I like that square book, but you are helping children to figure those things out during their play. You might, you know, as a child is, is stock, stacking blocks, you might say, you know, I noticed that you have six blocks stacked. How old are you? Oh, you're four, four, What's next? You know, so it's just a constant conversation with them without really realizing that they're they're learning as they're playing. And so many things can be taught through play without even me, you know, engaging myself in the middle of it, throwing myself. They don't, children don't need me to learn. And that's that's something that I've mm -hmm. learned in, in the last few years is um, I'm not the most important person in the room that I don't hold all of the knowledge that the children play and I make sure that my environment is set up for successful learning and playing, and it just goes from there. For me, it, sometimes it's hard for me to process that question because that's, that's not where I am anymore. Mm -hmm. um, my lesson plans now, or my plans for the week, we'll call them, are more settled on social-emotional development than anything, and they're individual plans. You know, this is what Joni needs this week. This is what... Simon needs this week. Um, and it it may be more opportunities to use scissors. Hey, can we can we cut something out? What do you think? Would you like ribbon? Would you like yarn? Or do you want a heavier piece of cardboard? You know, mm -hmm. encouraging them to do those things. Or it may be um, having a child sit and read a book with me for two minutes one day 
the next day, three minutes, gradually increasing their patience to be able to sit and do something. So it's just being intentional in their play to be able to be there with them and help them with the skills that they need during Mm -hmm. that time. Yeah, that's great. What are some of the social emotional skills you also see them needing as far as interactions with their peers? Oh, wow. What, what you, <laughs> I, I know there's quite a bit there. So many, and I feel like I'm being questioned by the expert on that. Um, you know, so many. I can, you know, I can remember a little girl named Hazel, and she came and she was so insecure. Every time I would leave the room, like she'd bubble up to cry. And the kids mm. would go, Hazel's doing it again, Miss Debbie. And I'm like, Hazel, I'll be right back. So I got to where I would give her warnings. Hazel, I'm going to leave out of the room now, and I'm going to be back. And, you know, she would still, but by the end of the year, Hazel would be in the front yard doing a balloon with another child because I had spent so much time helping her learn calm down techniques and learning mm. how to how to be confident when I wasn't in the room and and helping her with those strategies that she basically became my co-teacher when mm-hmm. I wasn't there which to me is amazing <laughs> that 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 happens you know um and giving them the skills the support like um you know I had a little girl come this year last year that um her mom said she's curious about doors well, as an early educator, the first thing you go is, I heard you. <laughs> I heard you. Because we don't want to be on the news with the child running down the street, right? So mm-hmm. I did start locking my doors that year. Okay. Um, t- two, two locks on my yeah, doors. Yeah. But I also, because it, it wasn't just about saying, hey, you cannot go out that door, don't touch it. It was helping her learn to be successful. So I, I made mm. a social story, you know, um, about this is Miss Debbie, this is Miss Debbie's door. It's safe for Miss Debbie to open the door. It's not safe for children to open the door, you know, and every day I would read this book. Well, now, when and she'll be with me one more year, when visitors come in, I have a picture of me holding a stop sign on the door and she'll go to the door and she'll say, only Miss Debbie opens the door, stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so so just thinking again, and I, I know I keep saying this, but what each individual child needs from me to be successful. I had little girls that were scared of my toilet. I have a, I call it a muncher toilet. It sits on a slab, so it has an apparatus behind it that pulls waste, so it makes a really <laughs> loud noise, right? So two little girls that wouldn't go in there. That's a problem. (laughs) That's a real problem. That's a problem. So instead of getting angry and frustrated, I wrote a social story. A lawnmower's loud. A motorcycle's loud. A big truck is loud. You know, all of these things. Then I said, "Miss, oh, and a motorcycle won't hurt hurt you. A lawnmower won't hurt you. Miss Debbie's toilet is loud, but it won't hurt you. And they got to where Mm -hmm. they'd go and they'd open the the little curtain to go in and say, it won't hurt me. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it won't hurt you. So... So just realizing so many times we expect children to come to us with those skills that we have, mm-hmm. but realizing that they're not yet there yet, right? So, mm. so realizing that and, and taking ownership of the fact that that's my real job. And I love what you, you've said it a couple of times, maybe three times, but you want them to be successful. Absolutely. We've said that so mm-hmm. many times on our episodes, um, just that you're hearing them, you're yeah. present with them, you're listening to them, and you're giving them what they need to be successful. You know, writing little social stories. Yeah. Oh, here yeah. I am hitting the table. But yes, right. you're listening to them and you want them to be successful. Right. 
Anything else we haven't asked? Well, the licensing requirements. Oh, yeah. Sure. I think there's a lot of them. There. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Sure. So in family child care homes, we're licensed and our books are a little different than licensed facilities that are in a center-based program. Uh-huh. Um, but there's they're still pretty, pretty strict. Um, there are as many as like how many what your ratio is, how many children you can have per adults, mm-hmm. um, where are your safety items kept. Um, I mean, it's even hard to go. There are hundred and something pages of rules and regulations wow. that we go by. And we have drop-in visits. Um, you never know when they're coming. They show up at your door and and come in and say, I'm here to inspect. Also, there's the paperwork. Each child has a file. So we have people, you know, like Leslie that would come in to make sure that we have a portfolio for children, um, an academic portfolio or a uh, art portfolio, things that show how children are learning. But the division would come in and look for um, immunization records, permission forms, contracts, those type of things. Okay. So um, there is a lot of oversight when you're a regulated family child care home. Okay. You know, Arkansas was one of the first states to offer pre-K in homes. Um, we've actually set up a model of that for other states, um, and that was back in 2008. Huh. So I know that you hold a lot of positions. Could you tell us some of those ones that you hold? Sure. Sure. So I'm currently on the Arkansas Early Childhood Commission. I just rolled off as chairman. Um, And what's funny about that um, is that when I was appointed, that's an appointed position. Mm -hmm. And I was appointed at the time by a state representative, Mm. most recently appointed by the governor. Um, And I can remember when they first asked me to do that and there had never been a family child care provider. And I said, I am not qualified to do this. Mm. Um, I'm not I'm just a family child care provider. Um, but what I found out was that um, I had an important voice there. Yes. That um, I was boots on the ground. I was with kids. I was with parents all the time. Um, so I had some experience coming in that a lot of people did not have. Um, and I just rolled off in April as the chairman of the Arkansas Early Childhood Commission. So mm. that's that's been a fun part of my adventure. Um, I've been president of the Arkansas Early Childhood Association. I founded the Arkansas Family Child Care Association <sighs> representative for the National Association of Family Child Care. Wow. Um, (laughs) Nationally accredited. I am nationally accredited and I run a project through um, the University of Arkansas Early Care and Education Projects funded by them um, to lead other providers in the state of Arkansas through national accreditation. Oh my goodness. She's busy. I I am busy. (laughs) That is wonderful how involved you've gotten with all this. This is really in your heart. This is your passion. It is, to help people. It is in my passion to help people. Well, that's one of my core values. And I just believe that all children deserve high quality care. You know, um, there's a book out called Illuminating Care. I don't know if you've read that, but it's a phenomenal yeah. book. And it talks about the divide between care and education. And it seems like we've reached a point in our society where it has to be one or the other. Mm. Like you either have to be education-based in that academic rigor that we've talked mm-hmm. about, or you're just caring for children when mm. actually care is education. Care is mm-hmm. education. It's one and the same. And and being able to spread that, be able to spread that ideology to providers and to be able to validate that taking care of children, caring for children and their families, helping them to put on their shoes, the very routine things that we do for children every day are the things that build those relationships so that we can teach them. Hmm. That's that's what opens up that avenue to be able to teach them the other things that we want them to know before they go to kindergarten if that's important. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's obvious to me that it's so faith-based. Mm-hmm. So do you want to share a little bit with us about that? You know, 
I would not say that my program is faith-based. I have always been that person that said, like, I would never call my program, like, the Proverbs 31 childcare facility. Yeah, right. You know why? Because... <laughs> There's a, such an expectation when you set yourself up on that pedestal to be that perfect right. role model, you know. But my faith is in being the hands and feet and and helping families to figure out where they go next and what they do and, and being that kind person that mm. realizes that when mom gets out of the car in the morning and she's had four kids to get ready for school in the back seat, breakfast fed... For me not to be that person at the door that says, you're 10 minutes late. For me to be that person like Jesus would be and say, it's okay. That's right. Come in. And it took me a while to get there. Like, I, this is all new for me. I feel like I should rename my place like Debbie's Hippie Preschool or something. <laughs> because I've just embraced that, that love and that kindness, uh-huh. which is what it all goes back to of being accepting and dropping mm. the expectations that I have of families that come to me so that hopefully, and well, I shouldn't say hopefully because it's happened at some point in their life, they look back and say there was something different yeah. about their setting. You know, we we don't talk about luck at at our preschool. Um, we we know that things happen by God's design. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't say, you know, hey, we're, we're really lucky it didn't rain today. You know, <laughs> we say, you know, look at there, God gave us sunshine, let's go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just like anything else that I teach my kids. It's just completely embedded into to what we do and what we say and who you every are. day. Yeah. And it's it's such a responsibility. Mm. You ever have a bad day and you just you just want to be mean. Have you ever done that? Like you just want to oh, be no, mean. I've yeah. never done that. Yeah. You just, you just yes, want to yes. say something. Like, like I'm just gonna say it, I'm gonna get it out. But then knowing, knowing that you are that person that some of them that that's the only Jesus they'll ever see. Yeah causes you to take a breath and say, I'm going to do it the right way, you know? And that's, for me, probably the biggest responsibility that I have to remember that I'm I'm a reflection and um, making sure that, you know, that's a reflection of who he wants me to be. Mm, I love it. Mm -hmm. I guess the last question I have is, um, what's the most important thing you have learned from teaching Mm. children? So... I think we already told this story, yeah. Leslie. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I guess I that's it, true. Yeah, I think the, the most important thing that I've learned from teaching children is is um, that I'm the deciding factor Ugh. with children, mm. and, and I get to decide how our day is going to go, and at any moment I can pivot and turn around and try again. Um, children are so forgiving. Oh, they are yes. so forgiving. Um you know, you'll, one of the favorite things for four-year-old girls to say is, you're not coming to my birthday party. And, and somebody can handle them something. They're like, okay, you can come. You're my best friend. But that's how they are. That's how they are with adults as well. And when we mess up, they're always there willing to forget and forgive and, mm-hmm. and move along. So I think that's probably the most important thing they've taught me is that um, I'm the deciding factor in my classroom. And I, it's important for me to to be able to pivot and to start again. Hmm. And I do have one other last question <laughs> too then. Oh, well. So <laughs> we'll forgive you. Yes. <laughs> what would you say if there are moms and dads out there getting ready to take their child to a preschool program for the very first time, what is the one thing that you would like to tell them? Wow. The one thing okay, that I would three. like to tell <laughs> <laughs> Okay, two or three. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think... 
how important it is to begin building that relationship with that preschool teacher before school ever starts. Um, hopefully the the place, the high quality place mm. that they choose has a transition um, routine in place. I have play dates with my kids through the summer so that they can begin to meet me, spend time with me with their parents um, to begin to feel safe with me. Mm. So I think to, to choose a place that they feel safe in so that then they can look at their child with all the confidence in the world and say, you are going to have an amazing day. You are safe with Miss mm. Leslie today. She's going to keep you safe and I will be back this afternoon. Mm. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is teaching them that they're safe and, and feeling that, that safety mm -hmm. yourself because of the relationship that you've begun to build with that mm -hmm. provider. It is always relationship, isn't it? It, always, it is. Yeah, always pulls back down to and that. being able to be honest when you say, yeah. you know, you're going to be safe and I'll be back. Thank you so much for visiting with us yeah. today. You've encouraged me, and I and I know you've encouraged a lot of listeners. Just, yeah. you know, this transfers into just parenting. Absolutely. You've spoken so much to just a, a mother, father, grandparent's heart on this is what they need to do for their children too, even if it's not in a, a child care facility. Thank you so yeah. much. So then your job is to go tell someone else. That's right. And tell someone yeah, else. And tell somebody what else. high-quality child care looks like, feels like, smells like, Everything that we teach children relates back to us and how we are with children. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Check out our Instagram at the Mind of a Child Pod, or you can email us at the Mind of a Child Podcast at gmail.com.